Hello and welcome to Fraggle Talk, the unofficial Fraggle Rock podcast brought to you by ToughPix.com. This is the podcast where we cover Fraggle Rock back to the rock episode by episode, along with the talented producers, performers, writers, and builders who help put it all together. I'm your host, silly creature Joe Hennis. Today, we are talking about episode seven, Flight of the Flutterflies, in which we meet the troubadours and Boober has to give a speech about lightning bugs. Today, we're chatting with two puppeteers who are vital to bringing the Fraggles to life on Back to the Rock. First up, you've seen his work on Sesame Street, Waffles and Mochi, and as Charles Entertainment Cheese. On Back to the Rock, he performs Wrench Doozer, Half of Pogorg, The Giant Talking Radish, and many more. We are extremely pleased to welcome Andy Hayward to the podcast. Hey, Andy. Hiya, Joe. Uh, thank you for mentioning The Giant Talking Radish. That made my whole day. Uh, that Giant Talking Radish made my whole year. It was incredible. He was, he was pretty pretty swell, right? He really was. Anything that, vomits, anything that vomits rainbows is a good time for me. Can't agree more. Our next guest was a puppeteer on the original Fraggle Rock, having performed the body for Junior Gorg for the final season of the show. He has performed in movies like The Love Guru, Scary Movie 3, Harold and Cargo to White Castle, and Follow That Bird. On Back to the Rock, he performs the puppetry for Boober and Traveling Matt, as well as Large Marvin, the Mantivore, and the other half of Pogorg. We are extremely pleased to welcome Frank Meshkalite to the podcast. Hello, Frank. Hey, thanks for getting my name right, Joe. I appreciate it. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> Great to have you. And there's been enough people on this podcast that have sung your praises, both of you, but that that alone has gotten the pronunciation of Meshkalite in my brain. So that was very helpful. Uh, well, like we were we were hinting at earlier before the recording started, it was a pretty terrific group of people there. That was a, that was a peak experience. I'm sure. I mean, everyone just seems so kind. And compared to the love guru, Frank, I didn't know you worked on the love guru. That's something we need to talk about later. That's new information for me. Uh, so many, so many stories, Andy. Uh, we'll talk about that in our in our Love Guru podcast. We'll do, Sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. A minute. Yes, we'll dissect that. Uh, well, Frank, um, before we get into how everyone got back to the Rock, you are you're back from the Rock to the Rock because you were on the old show and now you're back here. How does it feel coming back to Fraggle Rock after almost thirty five years? Oh, uh, Joe, you know what? Uh, I think I felt just about every emotion available to a human at various points, but in, in broad terms, looking back on, on it now, uh, I came into the original series to replace the uh, irreplaceable Rob Mills, who was in Junior when Richard and he and Richard had this tremendous relationship and Junior really came alive. Uh, and Rob got uh, very sick from being inside the suit because you can't throw them in the washer, right? And they just start to disintegrate. And it's like you're jumping around inside a giant old vacuum cleaner bag, right? It's just full of dust and you're in there huffing and puffing. And I got in the suit and within two weeks, I was at least as sick as Rob, but I was determined to finish. So I had, I had this <laughs> sure. sort of inside for my Ventolin and, <laughs> and off we went. So to come back and then to see the amazing job that Ben and Dan did with Junior uh, uh, from a distance and to work with the, uh, the fabulous Andy Hayward on PAW. Uh, Andy was in suit and I did the, the voice and the face. Uh, it was such a treat. It really came full circle and, and kind, of, kind of was a beautiful bookend for everything I had done and everything I, I hoped to do. Uh, as I said, a premier experience. So was it uh, important to you coming back to Fraggle Rock that you not be back inside of one of the Gorg suits? <laughs> it sounds like 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 breathing more dust every day. Maybe maybe I'll pass on that one. 
You know, I, 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 real quick, I don't want to go into too many sub stories, but there was a day where uh, where Dan and Ben were like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could get a picture of like us outside of the suit, but with like Junior standing up, not just put on a box. And I was like, hey, man, I'll go in the suit and you guys get your pictures. And it's like old times. Let's do it. So I get in the suit and, the, you know, the shoes and the gloves. And I'm like, oh, I remember this. And then they put the head on and they rebuilt Junior's head. And it weighed about 450 pounds and everything was right <laughs> against my face. And as they closed the last snap, I just went, oh, let's just leave that snap open. I think I need that little snap. I need that little bit of air. And this, once the <laughs> servo started risen, I, I chilled out. But it just kept getting tighter and tighter on me. Um, I think I could still go in a bodysuit, but it would be a deep second choice for me. I've, I've done a lot of suits over the years. And it just comes to the point where you go, yeah, this is for somebody else who's not as close to death walking in the door. <laughs> Uh, well, and that someone else was Andy, who is inside the well, back. Young Andy, he, he's, yeah. he's not just beautiful and smells good; he's durable. Right, and now I am also close to death. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens Andy when you did. inhale gourd dust. You just get a little bit closer every day. Absolutely. Uh, well, Andy, before before we talk too much about being inside a pot, let's find out how did you get to Fraggle Rock. What was your your process like? I. I don't know. Um, I had like in the past, I like I'd worked on some hints and things, little dribs and drabs. Uh, Fraggle Rock, I just someone, my name must have been on a list somewhere, and I got an email one day uh, saying, "Do you want to submit?" And the answer, of course, was no. I mean, yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I just I just shot. It was, and I remember it was so wonderful. It was uh, Johnny was kind of leading this audition. And uh, he had a little guide video, like he did choreography that we had to match. Um, and he was even just in that video, Johnny was Johnny, just completely encouraging and delightful. And uh, yeah, I just sent it in and then uh, here I am. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's it. So it was all done over, yeah. over tape. You didn't, this was not like an in-person thing by any means. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, for everyone, but at least uh, at my end, it was, I never had a puppet on in the same room as anybody it was uh it was all done uh via you know private youtube uploads and, and emails sure and then was your uh your body work uh audition for pogorg also part of that process or was that later on no i didn't <laughs> i did not i did not know i was going to be doing paw until we had a little zoom meet and greet and frank was there and like all the puppeteers were meeting for the first time and that's when someone just said I was going to be doing this. And I oh. was stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, because I did do at Disney. I worked at Disneyland for about three years and did a little bit of uh, fuzzy work there. I was friends with Pluto and Eeyore and a few of the characters. So I'd, I'd, been, I'd been around the interiors of heavy costumes before. But, sure. So uh, yeah, you know, you had the experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Let's go with that. <laughs> Curiously, just as a, as a footnote to that, uh, at one point I read for Junior, because uh, I'd been in the suit originally, though, well, I'll give Frank a try. And to keep my audition vital so that, you know, because you always try to make the listener or the viewer of your audition reel or your, your stuff go, oh, this guy's really, he's got a little extra something. So I read all the voices. I read Ma, I read Pa, I read Junior, and I focused on Junior. And then Johnny called me, he says, you know what? Your, your Pa wasn't bad. You, you're actually pretty good. You, would you do Pa? And I was like, yeah, I'd do anything, man. And uh, and then to work with Andy, you know, my God, it was terrific. And, and I actually, um, 
I, I helped set up the sort of uh, rehearsal process that we had with, uh, with the three Gorgs, well, the three Gorgs and the six performers. And we all were in one room working together. And because um, I, I, I split myself between trying to help as many in as many ways as I could, uh, I almost didn't pay attention to what Andy and I were doing as much as I wanted to. But then when I stepped back and looked, I went, oh, Andy's great. We're just like, we were, I felt we were simpatico almost from the word go. Because um, being in a suit, I know how hard it is. You have to be a really strong listener and you have to anticipate and, uh, you know, you have to breathe in the same, at the same rate that the guy who's doing the voice is so that you're not moving against the grain. And uh, I, I thought Andy was terrific right away. Everyone turned out to be quite outstanding, to be honest. Um, I, I really love the Gorg's work. So was there anything that you, the two of you had to do to kind of get on the same page and to bond since you're kind of embodying that same character at the same time? Well, I, I would say, thankfully for Frank and I, we worked together before. So Fraggle Rock wasn't our first time doing a shoot together. So we kind of had an idea of each other's work and had been on some sets in the past. Um, but it was pretty incredible. Like the, the rehearsal day that Frank mentioned, uh, it included like a little bit of a script and then just improv. And it was just working on listening, reacting, sharing. Frank would play off me, I'd play off Frank and we just go there. Um, another great thing I learned from the rehearsal day was from uh, Ingrid Hansen, who was the body performer for Ma uh, and also plays Heart on Helpsters. Uh, she taught me to find your rest periods. So even if it's 30 seconds, you just go to your Zen place, close your eyes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Don't exert yourself. Yeah, and save your energy yeah. uh, when you need it. But yeah, but yeah, it was cool. I'm in my happy place. It's a very clean vacuum cleaner bag. It's only been used a couple of times. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, and it's a shame that we didn't actually get more of Ma and Pa Gorg because it seems like most of their appearances on the series are just like one of them sticking their head out the window, saying something angry to Junior, and then disappearing again. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, because you've already kind of established this relationship and um, obviously you're both very talented and as well as the performers who do Magorg and, uh, you know, that we can get more of both of those characters in the near future. Knock on wood. Hope, hope, hope. Yeah. Love that. yeah. And I, Frank was pretty great. We were always trying to find little ways to get out of the window because we wanted to play a little more. So I think we did manage to get onto the porch a little bit. Right, like yeah, yeah. Kick, kick our heels up on that ledge and like do a do a couple. Yeah. Or it'd be last minute at a random go, Andy, Andy, why don't you lie down on the thing, pretend you're asleep while Junior's doing all the work, and we'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> great, yeah. Try it out. That's great. Because um, also the first time I watched through the series, I had no idea that these were the original mom pa uh, puppets from the old show. Because as far as I knew, they didn't exist below the waist. We only built a half a puppet. Cause we never saw them, you know, full body. Like we did junior always out in the garden. Yeah. We were fully suited up, even though you didn't see the lower half. Um, mostly because built into the lower half is the kind of, it's like a kind of a tutu, but it gives the body the form. Mm -hmm. So uh, oftentimes I would skip out on the shoes cause they were pretty heavy, but uh, we were always, we were always almost fully dressed in those things. And they were the originals and Pa had toast crumbs coming from somewhere. That was oh, no. Yeah, my my wonderful dresser Terry would take every day and vacuum and try to find the source of the rotting foam, but she never quite did. 
<laughs> so yeah, yeah, I was I was inhaling some things in there. Absolutely. Right. There you go. There you go. It's Thank it's you. kind of amazing that those suits were still in the shape they were in. And early on, when I was admiring the um, the massive machining that went into Junior's new new head, he has beautiful eye controls. Like the pupils moved. I think the lids moved separately. Did he have a lower lid? I can't quite recall now. But Dan killed it. Did a beautiful job working that. But there was so much. There, there were so many mechanics inside that head. And then you'd go over and look at Pa. And it's wicker and rattan. Ma and Pa were made out of like, looked like they were modified lawn furniture on the interior. Beautifully lashed together, you know, a cross weave and all, all designed for durability uh, and lightweight. And they were still perfect. Like the heads had the form. I, I know they did some touch up on both the puppets. If you have to after that many years. But uh, um, I think you got it off light, Andy, because Pa's head was not quite as heavy as Junior's. No, and then even looking over at Ma with that giant head hair piece on the back, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you won the, out. Fabulous, yeah. Uh, the fabulous between takes moments where they come running towards the suit performers with a leaf blower and just jam it into the mouth or down the, down the front and <laughs> you just hear Andy going, oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, I always, <laughs> I always forgot that everyone could hear me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be uh, enjoying my moment of respite audibly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Andy, how hard is it to get used to Gorg vision? Um, you know, and for people who don't know what that means, that's when you know there's there's a camera uh, in Gorg's in the Pa Gorg's eye that you could see right in front of your your eye to kind of get like those few extra inches up uh, for your vision. It was tricky, and that's where Frank was really helpful. Because um, we, so for Pa, his, he has a little spy cam. It was right between his eyes. So I would see whatever was right in front of him, but it's a limited field of vision. So I can't see what my hands are doing. It's just a little, a little spy cam. But um, what I was looking at didn't necessarily read as a good eyeline on frame. So that's what I had Frank in my ear saying, and he cheat a little to the left, a little to the right. So the, the Gorg eyeline would look better. Um, there was definitely a learning curve there. I think Ben, did Ben not have two feeds? I think Ben had a... Ben had one. Line. He he had like big bird vision. So like he could see what the, uh, what the cameras were seeing, but he did not have a camera right, in Junior's so he had head. The revert, he had mm -hmm. the reverse of Ingrid and I. Yeah. As right. puppeteers, we're used to kind of seeing the, the frame and playing the frame. And suddenly it was kind of restricted to just this little, little peephole. Yeah, um, right. But, you know, it's just always yeah. had to clear your clear your hair away from your your camera. Yeah, all the paws, little stray eyebrow hairs would start to stick up as they animated, and suddenly I would have like you know half the vision, sometimes a quarter of the vision. <laughs> yeah, here's what we want, Andy. You need to run through the frame with this bucket while you're looking through a straw with one eye. Frank <laughs> <laughs> was the best because Frank knew, having done this. Frank had been in the suit and outside the suit, so he knew better than most folks like what we were up against and how to help us. Yeah. That's great. great. Yeah. Yeah. That's super helpful. Mm -hmm. In fairness, Andy did all the hard stuff. It all sounds well, hard was, to me. I, I was schwitzing. I did. I was a little. <laughs> right. Yeah. You were sweating. You were breathing in toast. You couldn't toast. see anything. Um. <laughs> It's a lot. It's a lot at once. Any one of those things would be difficult, and you did it all at once. And there's like lines and choreography, and you know, you got someone shouting in your ear. It sounds. It sounds impossible. How are you still here? 
I'm not. Oh, you're not. Okay. <laughs> I told you he's durable. <laughs> uh, Frank, um, one of your biggest contributions to the show has been handling the puppetry for some of Dave Goals' characters since Dave wasn't able to be there in person. Because um, you performed the puppetry for Boober, Traveling Matt, World's Oldest Fraggle. Uh, how did you get chosen to be that person for that role? I don't know, but I'm going to I'm going to try and do it again if it ever comes up. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, I'm hmm. I guess they must have heard of me, Joe. You know, I like I told you earlier, I, I worked with the Muppets for about seven years when they used to shoot a lot in Toronto. And I did follow that bird in the last season of Fraggle and a, a Christmas special and an Easter special and some stuff, but not enough to make me go, oh, no, I'm a puppeteer. I just sort of thought, well, this is kind of cool. Let's see where this goes. And um and then when they stopped shooting in Toronto, I had a, a very meager skill set that I somehow uh, uh, pried into uh, into a larger skill set. I ended up working a lot in Montreal. I worked a lot in Vancouver. I started doing creature effects for feature films, a lot of commercial work. And eventually, I guess I just I, you do something long enough, you know, the 10,000 hours rule, right? You, you, you get your chops and you actually become, you know, reasonably good. So uh, they must have heard of me. I think it may have had something to do with Jason Hopley, who's a, a tremendous puppeteer, one of my favorite people, and I think the best puppeteer in Canada. Um, he might have put, put my name in the, in the right ear. Uh, so thanks there, Jay. Um, and then I, I chatted with Johnny, and we had a fantastic Zoom call. And I was like, oh, I like this guy. He's super enthusiastic. And you know, I've got a pretty big energy. And uh, uh, we got along great. And then they asked me to be puppet co-captain as well. And I was like, OK. What's that? <laughs> so, uh, I, I kind of figured out in the end on my own that my job in that regard was to help as many of the puppeteers as I could who had less experience and to take as much of the burden off of Johnny, who was constantly being asked something. Johnny, what do you think about this song? Which of this come in? Is this camera okay here? What do you think? Do you like that color, Johnny? Where's you go? Which one have for lunch, Johnny? So everybody's asking him stuff all the time. And I was like, I'll take the big chunks that fall off of John and just move them around in a way that makes sense to me. Um, but, but specifically to your question, I mean, I think all, how it happened is of much less interest and much less emotional range for me as to what happened when it happened, which was first like, oh, great. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. And then I kind of sat down and went, Dave Goals? Dave Goals? Gonzo? Met the queen a bunch of times? <laughs> <laughs> I hope I have the chops. And, and you know, here's a funny thing too, Joe, on, on, as I told you earlier, on the original Fraggle, I replaced somebody. And, and it's, a, it's a very challenging thing to do. People have different rhythms. The view of the work is subjective. You're in there trying to be them. So you kind of, you're pushing your instincts through someone else's prism, if you will, someone else's uh, um, uh, lens. Uh, so I did it on the original Fraggle and lo and behold, I came back and, oh, I watched Dave's stuff over and over. And I was like, okay, Dave does that. Dave does this thing. Okay, I'll try and do that. And I'm a very technical puppeteer. I think I'm very good technically. Uh, so I was able to mimic some of it, but you can't help but go, oh, I think it would be neat if, um, like, I really like hands. I like hands on puppets. I think each hand is like a tiny mask that has its own little story that adds to the, 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 the scene. So, um, uh, Dave didn't do hands that much. Tremendous voice actor, a great an actor, period. And his manipulation, I think, was peerless, you know? And he created the characters. So it's, it, was, it was always a bit slippery. You know, you think, oh yeah, this, that, that felt like Dave. That felt a lot like, oh, that didn't feel very much like Dave at all. But it was, you know, 
and then you start playing with the voice and you're trying to do a thing that makes it makes it all more real and uh uh i hope dave's happy we, we had some tremendous zoom chats he's a real gentleman and he thinks very deeply about his craft uh those those chats were a joy but um i i'll admit i was scared i was scared yeah it's it sounds terrifying um, we, uh, we interviewed Dave for this podcast and he spoke fairly highly of you. So he was very pleased of, uh, with your work. Um, but he also told us a little bit about how he would watch the feed. And if there was something that you were doing that, you know, he wanted to give you a note, he'd be able to reach out. So uh, did, were you just like sometimes working and suddenly you get a phone call? And it's Dave telling you that like, Hey man, you're doing something wrong. <laughs> Fix it. <laughs> like I said, Dave's an awesome gentleman. You just, you just can tell that he's, he's got a lot of confidence and, and comfort with himself uh, and I was kind of, you know, I was digging, trying to figure it out. First day I was doing World's Oldest Fraggle. And um, uh, it's a whole new bit, right? Because uh, Amy Garcia was doing Henchy. Uh, they, they rebuilt Henchy as a female character. And in the original, uh, Oldest would always be hitting Henchy with a stick. It doesn't really fly so much these days. So we were trying to figure something out. And I'm a little anxious. You know, I'm doing that character. I saw this character, when, you know, when I was growing up. But I watched the show and I worked on it. And suddenly, meep, meep, I look at my phone. I go, oh, it's Dave. <laughs> he says I should put the emphasis on I. <laughs> and I swear to God, my hand started shaking a little bit. I was like, I can't believe he's watching me. What's he thinking? Am I doing this? Am I any good? And this wave of self-doubt washes over. And then you go, oh, nonsense. You know, you know how to do a puppet. Do the puppet. Try and make it funny. So certainly there were a lot of uh, steep hills to climb because some of the characters changed outright. Like World's Oldest no longer had this Punch and Judy dynamic with, uh, with Henchy. So we're, you know, uh, Amy and I were trying to figure that out. I think we made a little headway, but I think there's, there's, there's room to grow for sure. Yeah. And, and I'm sure it's just difficult for anyone, you know, knowing that this is a character they feel some ownership over that they're still currently technically working on because he was coming into, you know, uh, do ADR for the, uh, the voices later yeah. on. Um, yeah. that, you know, to not have that control over every little detail of what I would do, you know, that's gotta be tricky for, you know, whether you're Dave goals or just starting out or anyone, you or me. Yeah. I think in, in fairness, I think it's one of the harder things to do in puppetry. I mean, everything is a challenge, you know, especially if you're fresher at it. I mean, I'm, I've been around long enough to like, I generally don't think I'm afraid of, of puppetry things. It all just feels like something I'll, I'll make the reach for. I'll find a way creatively. But this was, this was a challenge from the word go. And, um, and, and I think that's because I, I wanted it to be really good. So I continued to push myself. And then sometimes you, you kind of overstep and you go, I'm going to do this thing. And I, oh, that didn't feel very boobery. Okay, I'm not going to do that again. But some of the stuff's great. There's a little bit I just saw when, um, I guess we'll come to this later, but since I'm, I'm thinking about it now, Boober says uh, something about um, uh, these are these are laundry hands or these are dishwashing hands or something. And he's talking about, I won't touch that thing. These are dishwashing hands. And he holds his hands up and he turns them like this. And it's a great little cheat that Ingrid was doing hands for me where we took a second set of arms of, of Boobers and brought them up from the bottom of frame. So here's, wow. here's Boobers arm. And they went down. She brought these up and he'd look and go, no, no, not these. These are dishwashing hands and put them down again. It's a nice little cheat. And I love stuff like that. I love those little puppet tricks that go unnoticed um, unless you really look closely, but they they add to the to the the fullness of the performance. I like that because you could actually justify that as, oh, these are his dishwashing hands, but the ones attached to his body are different hands. <laughs> <laughs> He's got several sets. Those are for dishwashing. These are for soup. 
This is for playing yeah. basketball. Laundry. Yeah, laundry. These are my ironing hands. Exactly. Yes. Uh, so let's jump into this episode, Flight of the Flutterflies. Uh, the episode begins with the arrival of the troubadours, uh, which are very similar to the minstrels from the original series, uh, who, of course, debuted in the original series episode titled The Minstrels. Um, the group is notable for being led by Cantus, uh, who is the character performed by Jim Henson. Uh, the leader of the troubadours is Jan, excuse me, Jamdalin. It's a hard thing to say out loud. Jamdalin, voiced by David Diggs and puppetry by you, Andy. Is that right? Yeah, I, I got to waggle that guy. Yeah, yeah how did you how did you get that that gig? Um, okay, same as before. I don't know. Um, <laughs> great story. <laughs> great. Moving on. I, I, I'm a great I'm a great storyteller. What no, a spinner uh, of yarns. I I specifically remember coming to set one day like any other day, and we were probably a couple days away from beginning working on that, that particular episode. And one of our wonderful producers, Tim O'Brien, just stopped me on the way in. He's like, he asked you, just said, we're going to have you do Jamdalin. I said, okay. <laughs> and that was it. And the marvelous thing about the show is how much trust folks have in you. They give you, and this speaks highly to everybody, but like, number one, they want everyone to shine. But number two, they, if they give you something, they trust you that you're going to take care of it and you're going to do it. And it was just a thing that I found out a couple of days before. And then I dove into that script and <laughs> started working on it. Um, a nice thing that I got was uh, David beforehand went in and did some different line readings so that I could listen to him and kind of get his vibe. So that when I was doing the dialogue in the studio, um, we could kind of mesh together. So I kind of got his rhythm, kind of threw in a little bit of my own stuff um, too. But uh, it was it was pretty incredible. That's great. And, and kind of the opposite of what we were just talking about with, uh, with Frank performing Boober, where he's doing the original track and then Dave was going to come in and do the audio later. You already had an audio track that you're, you're syncing to. Is that right? No. So uh, hmm. he, the, the songs were all pre-recorded. So that was set in stone. Um, because David did some amazing riffing, so I could learn that and match his vocals on the songs. For the dialogue, I he gave me some samples, but I did that all myself live, and then he came in after, like Dave did with Frank. And then oh, interesting. After the fact, yeah, yeah. And wow. I think that's how it went for most of the celebrity cameo characters. Interesting. Uh, that is only yeah. surprising because you would think that you know, when you get a big celebrity and they're donating their time, well, not donating, but like they're using their time, you know, for this kind of show for a small role, you're not going to ask them to come back two, three, four times to like do the, you know, the original track and then to come back and do it all over again. Um, so pretty generous of David Diggs to be able to do that for this character. It was great. And I think, I mean, everyone understood how important it was that this work. So, and another beautiful thing about the show is you're always given the tools to succeed. They always go above and beyond to give you what you need. So yeah, the fact that I got to kind of hear his voice beforehand and, and feel it, feel his vibe uh, helped tremendously. And yeah, a lot of shows wouldn't do that, but this one did. And that was, it was a huge help. It was amazing. That's great. And did you feel the, um, uh, the added pressure of performing a character that people were going to look at and uh, automatically associate with Jim Henson because of the Cantus connection? So I didn't, it didn't 
fully hit me until we were doing the shot where Cantus was leading the band out of the cave. And I had this puppet on and he's huge and he's got a seven foot tail with two rods, an extra hand. He's got this huge instrument attached to his body. And then suddenly I saw the frame of the shot and it just blew my mind because I saw what I was doing. I'm like, this, this is the, this is a gym, direct gym ad tip to Cantus. It was the same shot. And I think it was Dan Garza that leaned over and he's like, dude, do you realize what you're doing right now? <laughs> yeah, um, amazing, amazing. I can't I, even I gotta say, the, day, the day that Andy put, um, uh, put Jandalin on, I was like, what's he gonna do with the voice? I kind of had an idea what, what David Diggs sounded like. Um, and Andy, in the time I've known him, seemed to specialize in doing very cute, uh, small characters like the work you did on the doozers is fantastic and the stuff you and I've done together has always been kind of like little bunnies and that sort of stuff and and yeah. I thought okay that's the thing Andy excels at but then you came out and you were all like Wolfman Jack you were all Cantus and I was like I think I took you aside and was like Andy where did that come from look at you and look what you're it's amazing it was it was great on its own but it was extra special I think because it just felt like like Andy had made um, this, ex this extraordinary leap towards making this character his own and making it sound like it was going to sound ultimately it was it was great a tour de force oh that's generous frank and i will i mean between the couple days before i found out i was doing this i did not sleep a lot like i was <laughs> up with that audio and my scripts to my pages and and uh working on so that that means a lot frank that's very, that's very yeah nice. just make the check out to my name spell it right i will i know payable okay got it <laughs> <laughs> and you, also, you had a terrific support team. Was it was Ben on your tail? I can't remember. Was it Ben? Ben. So Ben Durocher was almost always with me. Um, yeah. The first, and it skips ahead a bit, but the first big thing we shot with Jamblin was his uh, song Go With The Flow. And for that, I had Ben on my right hand. And when you lead a character, you're given a little lead. Like, you kind of decide who you'd like to have help you. And the night before, I'm like, gosh, who's a, who can do my tail? And... I noticed Red wasn't playing. And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if Karen, do you think no? Because Karen's producing, starring, and she doesn't. But I'm like, oh, okay, I just sent her an email. I'm like, would you mind? Would you ever, I know you're busy. And within 20 minutes, I got an email back and she said, sure. Oh, so uh, she was the first one to do the tale. And she kind of set the tone for everyone else to kind of vibe with the tale. And that was a whole other puppet. It was double oh, rotted, wow. huge. Yeah, yeah. She's a she's a really puppeteer. You meet you meet Karen and you go, oh, she's actually she's she's quite you know she, her her energy presents itself as very small, and then you put her in icy Joe or you see what she does with oh. red. You put her on the tail and it's like the beats happening with the tail. She was uh, she's her, her commitment to character is beyond most any human. When she, she gets like icy Joe, and that was not a little puppet. That was a beastly thing with an entourage. Her commitment is is unsurpassed, and the, uh, and then she's playing a tale, and her commitment to that is equal. It's astounding, it's incredible. And she has so much experience playing tales because I think she was Sprocket's tail in the old Fraggle Rock. Uh, oh, yeah. I know she's I know she's she the right hand on the current um, Back to the Rock, but I don't think she plays the tail anymore. But even still, like to have for anyone to say, oh yeah, I've got a lot of experience playing tales. So yeah, I got this one. <laughs> yeah, not many people in this yeah. world can say that. Um, well, the uh, the troubadours are here because it is New Day's Day, 
It is a brand new holiday to us. Um, it is the holiday when the flutterflies all hatch. The uh, troubadours are here with a, a box of flutterfly cocoons, which they're going to release, and then we're going to have a big party. It sounds great. Um, Boober thinks that this whole thing is absurd, uh, but Icy Joe loves it, as we said, Icy Joe from, you know, Karen does such an amazing job with. Uh, Icy Joe identifies with how it's all about new beginnings since just uh, in the previous episode, she got a, her own new beginning. Uh, the first event with New, new Day's Day is the Skitter Scatter, where uh, they're going to release this big rock. It's going to fly all over the uh, the rock, the, fra- the fraggle rock. And um, whoever catches it gets to re- uh, give a speech and release the flutterflies. And they get to wear a hat, which is also very exciting. Make a toast. Yes, there's the toast, the box, the hat. Not in that order, but right. all true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Before the skitter scatter, we have our, our first check-in with Doc and Sprocket. Um, Doc also has to give a speech. And uh, she's going to be giving a speech to all of her professors. If it goes well, then she'll get lab space for her microbiology experiments. So, of course, she's very nervous. Uh, I I like that. uh, Well, first of all, Sprocket dresses up like one of her professors to help her get into the right tone. And it looks like he's kind of dressed like the old doc from the original series with the glasses and the kind of suit and tie. Um, He also kind of looks like my dad. I don't know how they got a photo of my dad and put him on the show, but that was really weird and, and, and personal. Um, so thank you to the Fraggle Rock uh, producers for that that little touch. Um, that was that was on purpose. That was for you. Explicitly. I knew it. I, knew I, it. I, had, yeah. I had a feeling. Yeah. Uh, her uh, her speech begins. I I just have to read this because I thought it was hysterical. Her speech begins with H two O. I didn't see you there. My name is Spaghetti. Nope, that's not my name. My name is Doc. Actually, that's not my name either. That's a nickname that I call myself. This whole thing is going very well. Um, so first of all, did did either of you uh, work on the Doc and Sprocket segments? I was not there, but Frank, you were, right? Yeah, I, I, I was there. I did, I, you know, wherever I could help out, I jumped in. But it was mainly uh, Johnny and Karen who did Sprocket. Um, but, you know, Lily was fantastic. Lily, Lily Cooper, right? Yeah. She, yes. she was yeah. awesome as Doc. And, and you know, I remember the, the original uh, Jerry Parks, you know, is qu- quite a uh, uh, over the top, fantastic performance, easy to watch, blustering and funny. And, you know, he was he was a joy. And I thought, how are they going to recast that? How are they going to how are they going to make that dynamic fit today's sort of template of, of you know, what's what's fun and zany? She nailed it. She was uh, easy to watch empathetic, charming on camera, great with Sprocket. And I don't think I've met anyone more off book than her. Uh, I, think, I think JJ directed those, those segments, the Doc and Sprocket segments, and he'd run in and go, can you take that third line and put it at the front and the first line second and the second line third? And then she was like, yeah, okay. And we'd roll and she'd nail it. I don't think we ever stopped once for a, for a line flub from her. Wow. Yeah, she was uh, that's that Broadway mind, you know? Like, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I've never been one to memorize literally anything that specific so that's always like a talent that I've, I've i'm jealous of you know that people can um can just pull that out of their hat yeah yeah i too i sort of go are you like kreskin how did you do that <laughs> <laughs> read it once and memorize it uh later in the episode what we check in with doc and sprocket again we could just get this out of the way here for our recap here um doc comes back from her presentation and apparently she biffed it uh, because at some point she during the presentation, she put her grandma on speakerphone, introduced her to everybody. <laughs> that apparently didn't go well for her. Um, but she's really happy because the worst case scenario happened and she's still here. 
Uh, and if she can get over that, then she can do anything, which is great. And uh, there's a wonderful little puppetry trick there where she asks Sprocket to dance and she picks him up by his front paws and she dances them like you might with dance with a real dog because Sprocket is a real dog and not a puppet. Yeah, That's right. we all know it. And that is for me, one of the most beautiful moments in the show. That shot is so pure and seeing Sprocket that way, full bodied and the weight of Sprocket is absolutely correct. And the care she's taking and it's just beautiful. Big it really is, work. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing where I could see them potentially attempting to do something like that on the old show, but not having the technology quite perfect yet. Where like you can kind of see the seams, you can kind of see, you know, that weird outline when you when they used to do chroma key and green <laughs> screen uh back in the day. But now you're right, it's just it looks flawless. And really that's such a testament to not just the technology, but the performers who are yeah. putting like you say, putting that perfect amount of weight and that perfect yeah. amount of movement. And Lily Cooper with her, um, you know, the way that she just dives right into what's what the scene is requiring of her. It, it's just, it's a wonderful shot. So, also, you know, I think I think it would be easy to leave out and would be a shame to not mention it's the post team. Uh, the, the, the work that I saw on the show, because of course I watched it all the way, you know, that's why I'm here. Um, the post work is so good. The film music is is perfect right to, to the to the to the beat is perfect to the tone is perfect and visually there's a scene where um it's not this episode but the the uh, fractals are running in and out of the gorg's legs took my breath away i watched that five six times in a row it's like that is perfect um so hats off to you know both the the production team when it was being shot but i think i think the post team has more to do with it than we'll mm -hmm. ever know and, mm -hmm. and everything i saw that had been uh touched by post was just beautiful, like feature film level. Every episode actually felt to me like like a feature, mini feature film. There's just so much detail and love and caring and attention and uh, concern. Uh, it's a great series. Oh man, <laughs> it's pretty yeah, good. I recommend it's, it. I think yeah, people right. Should maybe check it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you haven't yet, maybe watch Back to the Rock. I think it's I think it's a good thing, <laughs> despite our participation. Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, back to Fraggle Rock. Uh, they are playing the Skitter Scatter. Uh, they uh, Jamdalin lets this stone run around the uh, the rock. Everyone wants to play except for Boober. Um, this is the line that you mentioned before. He says, "I couldn't catch it even if I wanted to," which I don't. These are laundry hands, and those were his laundry hands that he then put in a little box and put away until he's ready to do laundry. <laughs> Uh, and Moki, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, Moki says, you know, they, people think that the stone finds you. Um, and uh, then we get this big action scene where the, the stone is bouncing all around. I assume that the stone is added in post and the fraggles are all just, you're all just kind of like wiggling around and chasing nothing. But I could be wrong. I'd be wrong about these things before. Is that I think, accurate? I think some post and, and some uh, the slower stuff was practical. Like when it's on Wembley's head, that's certainly practical. I think the initial yeah. bounce were practical, but yeah, the really frantic ones that are like, you know, cartoon animated looking there, uh, like that kind of energy. I mean, for sure. Yeah. Must have been post. Um, and as you said, uh, you know, it lands on Wembley's head at one point and there's that great shot where icy Joe just <laughs> lunges at him in slow motion. And he yeah. has out like his arms are waving and he's screaming. I love that shot. That's a good one. Uh, and we see the stone bounced on the hall and directly into Boober's laundry bucket, and the 
Stone has now officially chosen him. Uh, but of course, Boober does not want to give a speech. Um, that's terrifying. Giving speeches is terrifying. Uh, are, are either of you afraid of giving speeches as well? Because that's a very common thing that none of us should be ashamed of. There's uh, a reason I like doing puppets is because I like to hide. I don't like to get up in front of anybody. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I think, I think you're, you're, you're a bit right, Andy. If, if I have too much time to think about it, then I'm not a really, I'm not a natural speech giver at all, but I'm always happy to talk about something. So if we're given the opportunity, but, uh, but I could, you know, I can, I think everyone can relate to Boober's, uh, Boober's anxiety, you know, and then finding solace in that little thing that you do, whether it's ironing or whether it's, you know, collecting your stamps or whether it's, uh, any kind of med meditation that takes you to a, you know, a happy place. Um, yeah. Running a Fraggle podcast. That's, that's my happy place. That's, that's your happy place. <laughs> sure. Why not? We interrupt this podcast for a special postcard from our uncle traveling John Tartaglia and a Fraggle fast fact. Today's Fraggle Fast Fact is working doozers work, how doozers are operated. So the doozers are operated in two different ways on Fraggle Rock, Back to the Rock, uh, and they both come from the brilliant mind of Faz Vazakis, the genius electro-mechanical engineer that worked in the creature shop in the 1980s. He devised uh, this system for the original series. So the doozers are remote control and they're hand puppets. Uh, the remote control version, they have little teeny servo motors inside of their heads and their bodies, kind of like the ones you find on model airplanes that are operated from across the room with this contraption called a waldo which is something we put our hands into to make the puppets uh move uh to make the doozers move in kind of a puppeteered way uh and that that's the kind of doozer you see riding inside of the construction vehicles or on top of the doozer constructions um the architect i loved using the radio controlled version for him um and then there's also the hand puppet versions of the doozers which are simple rod puppets they're basically little uh, trigger mouths uh, that are operated uh, by hand and then a little universal joint that we use to move the head around and then of course arm rods for the hands so those are the two ways the doozers are operated and that's your fraggle fast fact and back to the podcast moki is uh hanging out with boober and explaining to him that you know it's okay if you're feeling this way, but you're not going to mess it up. And he, we have this interesting dream sequence uh, where Boober is imagining himself being so nervous. He'll trip and fall. Everyone will laugh at him. Uh, and then we see Fraggles laughing at him, which is a weird thing, by the way, to see an, on Fraggle Rock of these Fraggles being cruel to each other, even if it isn't a dream sequence. It's just, I just never see that. It's so rare. Um Moki uh, suggests, well, maybe those fraggles aren't laughing at you, but they're laughing with joy because he fell onto some quick grow flowers that lifted him back up. And then Boober counters by saying, well, it's a terrible story because quick grow flowers make him itch. And then Moki counters with his counter and says that his itching will start a new dance craze. And then Wembley comes out of nowhere and says, and then we all get radish shakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, which also sounds delicious. I don't know. I don't know if a radish shake would be good or not, but I'd be willing to try it. Uh, Boober does like radish shakes, but he likes them too much. He would drink his too fast to get hiccups and he'll get the full body hicks and he'll be un unable to open the flutterfly box. And then New Day's Day will be known as Boober's Day, the day that Boober ruined everything. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I appreciate this that like, you know, for I don't know about you, but for me, when I do get 
too far into my head about something that might go wrong, it goes way too wrong. It's not just like, oh, well, I might embarrass myself. It's like, nope, this literally everything that could go wrong will go wrong. And so I might as well not try. There's That's a real anxiety. Yeah, it's that whole law of attraction thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to go terribly, and I'm thinking about how bad it's going to be, so it's going to be worse. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Story of my life. Yeah. The, the more you think of it, the worse it can get. Right. Yeah. Uh, Boober uh, does get his hat for uh, this New Day's Day celebration. And I don't know about you, uh, when he was wearing it, it reminded me a, a bit of uh, the hat that Sidebottom wears um, on the original series. And uh, it just made me sad that Sidebottom didn't make an appearance in this season. So hopefully season two, we'll see some of that guy. Who knows? Right. Everyone tweet hashtag Sidebottom right now, please. Let's get <laughs> hashtag hashtag right. save side bottom or there side bottom season two. season two anything with yeah, the word side yeah. bottom in it we'll figure it out <laughs> that's Anytime how hashtags work to, uh, right you, you pick like four of them and then they all I, work you just use right? them all <laughs> right. hashtag season two through twelve yes yes agreed <laughs> 12 seasons and a movie and side bottom Ooh. right wow. uh okay. Jamdalen uh, gives Boober a little bit of wisdom. Uh, he says, life's like a river. It may be full of twists and turns, but it just keeps on flowing. Don't fight the flow, just go. This, uh, I, I was kind of hoping for something that was a little bit more cantusy uh, with his wisdom. And that was a very long sentence that he spoke to Boober where, you know, Cantus's, uh isms used to be things like, you know, what is, is, what was, was. And you're just like, what the heck are you talking about? But hey, at least it was short. <laughs> I do love the, the the vague poetry of Cantus was so beautiful. You could you could apply his wisdom to almost any situation. I think, yeah. yeah. But I, I loved I loved playing that scene, and it was so fun. Uh, and then uh, playing the Skitterstone with us too. If that's the scene we're on, uh, Ingrid Hansen was hilarious with her little quips there too. Um, yeah, it was it was great. Yeah. It seemed like a blast. I mean, I think anything where you have a lot of fraggles who are like running around in action at the same time and almost like fighting for the spotlight a little bit, even if they're way in the backgrounds, like that's fun. That's super fun. Yeah. 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 You know, on the, on the original series, we used to, um, when we weren't, when we weren't doing anything in the foreground, which was a lot of the time, we'd make it our mission to do, uh, to tell our own little stories with the background characters. And uh, I loved hanging out with Rob because we'd always come up with this crazy stuff. He'd be like, grab an ink spot. Okay. I said, what are we doing? He said, I don't know. I said, well, let's dig a hole. So one of them would be digging a hole and the other guy would be leaning on the shovel. And right before the camera cut, the guy leaning on the shovel would look at his watch or look at the sky or whatever, take two steps forward and fall down this hole that we just dug. And it was, you know, maybe you never saw it, but I, I, I hoped and I think we succeeded in trying to get the background characters to have their own little story. I'd always say, this is the scene, you know what's happening with Red and with Moki, you know, with everybody who's in the front, but what's your story in the back? What are you doing? I know you're walking through frame with a, a basket of fruit, but, or radishes, but you know, where are you going? What's your intention? Are you, are you scared? You don't, are you gonna stop and eat a radish? What are you gonna do? Make it yours. And those little things really brighten up the background. And I love those group scenes whether it's something frantic or something casual, because as often as not, you can pick a little corner frame and go, oh, look at those guys. Oh, that's really cool. I know exactly what they're, what they're, the story they're telling, you know? Uh, it's, yeah. It's great. And, the cast is terrific. 
and you know for me like this is you know my, probably my third time watching these episodes and uh because i've already seen them i've already i already know what's happening in the foreground this is my opportunity to start like well, what are those guys doing back there you know what what's yeah. like it, you know maybe it's it is hard to pick out like a story even if it's as simple as dig a hole fall down a hole but it's not just uh you know peas and carrots peas and carrots peas and carrots kind of nonsense mm-hmm. dialogue or or just like them standing around smiling like they are you know, in some sort of action uh, or doing something that looks like life, which is yeah. a, very much noticed and appreciated. Um, and there have been a few times where I've noticed like some silly stuff going on in the background, which is like, it's like finding an Easter egg. Like that's a huge joy. You know, that's like a win. Like I got it. You, you did something and I saw it. I see yeah. you. Well done. And that was the thing that as captains, Frank and Johnny both encouraged all the time was make a bold choice. You're back. What do you want to do? And a great thing that we were able to do too, if we were doing deep background, was we could go grab a prop. We could mm. go find a thing and do a bit of business and have a little back and forth. Uh, Ali Eisner and I, one day, we were way up by the waterfall. We were playing telephone through the whole scene. So I had a little fraggle cup and she had a little fraggle cup and we're just back there for the afternoon. But uh, it just it brings so much joy to everyone. It kind of livens up the scene a bit if you notice it but it's fun for the puppeteers. And then, uh, and then it, it really was, feels it really feels like you're watching a village of people and not just five characters. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. Uh, it, it makes it a full performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, next up in this episode, uh, we get our first song. It is the song Go With The Flow that we mentioned earlier. Um, this is from yeah. the original series, the episode Marooned. The song was originally sung by the Trash Heap with Philo and Gunge on backup. But this one, of course, is performed by the Troubadours and it's got a much funkier tone, which is great. Like it sounds so good. It's so cool. Uh, and we get this great dance moment where everyone is like dancing down the line like Soul Train, like they're on Soul Train. We see the Fraggle Five dancing, Pogi, Large Marvin, Storyteller, Icy Joe, the Ink Spots, and like everyone has their own dances. Um, so first of all, I have to assume that that each of you have, were performing someone dancing uh, down this line. Um, Frank, I assume that maybe you were Large Marvin, if that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, did, what, what did you have in mind for how Large Marvin dances? We may, we, we may have never seen him dance before. You know, <laughs> Large Marvin is, I think he's also a character who is, who's, uh, who's, who's finding, finding his way the same way uh, world's oldest is trying to figure out exactly, you know, uh, where, where, where he's rooted um, near the end. I'm not sure if it happened for this episode, but uh, Marvin used to have this old kimono on and, and it just didn't, it didn't give the right kind of vibe these days. And so uh, one of the great costume makers made him like a track suit. And so we started playing <laughs> with the notion that he was like, Maybe he's getting a little buff, you know, like he's big, but he can handle himself. So I had him dance and he was blowing kisses on the way out, which I thought was hilarious. That that, that pass didn't make the cut. We did a ton of ton of passes on that. Uh, and that, that has to be one of my favorite days of the whole shoot, that Soul Train shoot. And I don't know if you noticed this, Joe, but if you looked all the way down the line where they first, where the dancers first entered, all the, the doozer dozers are there with their lights flashing. And that's part of the light punch, part of the disco punch. And those designs are so beautiful that, um, oh, what's his name? Tyler, Tyler Bishop Heron, I think, did. The Doozer Dozers are gorgeous. Like, I'm pretty old and I really want to play with them. 
I want some, I want to push them around and make the boom, boom, boom noise really badly. So seeing those in the back and then everyone turn in the corner and come and doing their dance. That was, and, and storyteller. Oh my God. Uh, and the, the fun part was everyone came up with their own bit and everyone was brilliant. But Donna yeah. as the storyteller with Kira Hall, with that little booty slap. So good. We were all dying. It was just the most Amazing. hilarious thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. And that I mean, and hysterical because yeah. because you know we you and I you know we look at it and we go oh she's like hitting her butt and like backing that up you know but a kid would just see like oh she's doing a funny dance like they're not necessarily going to pick up on <laughs> on what the storyteller is doing and like for a character who's basically just acting like she's drunk all the time like it it pretty much fits. <laughs> You know, every time story a uh, storyteller had had a a piece in the uh, in in an episode, everybody stopped to watch. You come up, yeah. well, storytellers up. I gotta go watch this. Yeah, don't. By the end, she, storyteller was such a favorite on set with everybody, and so constantly hilarious because that's Donna. That storyteller started doing announcements. I remember toward the end, <laughs> like if we were gonna have a special coffee truck or something, storyteller would get up and let us know. Back to uh, New Day's Day. Uh, Wembley is very excited. He's shaking with excitement, wearing this great flowered eye mask. It's got these little butterflies on wires coming off the top. Um, he's holding streamers. Um, it's very cute. Uh, and Moki wonders out loud if the Doozers also have holidays. And it turns out they're celebrating one right now. It's Helmet Appreciation Day. And we get this great shot of the Doozer Dome. There's a DJ playing like this, like monotone dance music, wearing this red fraggle helmet with, with little pom-pom uh, uh, pigtails. Uh, there's a conga line and balloons. There's a teacup ride where the teacups are big helmets that the, that the Doozers are sitting in. Um, there's lots of weird helmets. Like there's one wearing a Viking helmet. There's one with a top hat. There's one where the, there's like a cupcake on top of the helmet. Um, and then one doozer gets lowered from the ceiling with a chandelier helmet. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, it's, we're, and it's almost a throwaway. It, it goes by and you're like, oh, it's over. I got to watch it again. There's so many little details. Yeah, yeah. I literally had to like pause it two or three times just to like take it in and see what is going on. All these little details that are just shoved into the background that I'm sure someone spent a ton of time on knowing this is going to be two seconds on screen if anyone even notices it in those in those moments um so i'm here to say yes we noticed it <laughs> yeah, oh that's great you know the, the workshop on back to the rock was uh fantastic scott and his merry merry band of men and women were so terrific in coming up with ideas and doing stuff quickly and you know i'd go in once in a while because i'm I, I like i'm a hack builder but i like building and i go what did you do how did you make that hair so amazing and Scott would be like, oh, I just, you know, I got tired of sculpting hair, so I vacuum formed the shell, and then I put the hair on top. What? That's genius! So these these things came up, these solutions to to big problems came up regularly, and and stuff came out of that shop that was just just delightful. So great to watch it move, but also to see it before it was covered. You know, you look at a mechanism or something and go, oh, that's really great. Some of the swinging stuff that happened, you know, with the one fraggle grabbing another by the tail and spin him around. It's it's beautiful work from a mechanical standpoint, and obviously massively effective visually. That the workshop was one of my favorite places to go hang out. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, for for this scene in particular um, with the uh, the Doozer party, were either of you involved? And if so, like where where can we spot you with these Doozers? Well, I don't. I was, if you even remember, I remember. 
I well, I remember. I only remember because when Johnny came in with that chandelier doozer, I had to step away because I was laughing and didn't want to ruin it. When he came down and said whatever he said, yes. <laughs> oh my god and in my mind i'm like this is never gonna stay they're not gonna eat. oh yeah no it's there and it's there. brilliant it's so good that yeah, might have been one of the days andy when there were a bunch of days where we broke into like splinter units and we'd be shooting a doozer set and at the same yeah. time we'd be shooting a great hall and at the same time we'd be shooting the blue box you know some some blue screen yeah. stuff uh, all in the same studio, but we'd sort of like, okay, okay, and they've cut, okay, and action. <laughs> and we'd yeah. constantly be trying to, trying to get every second of open time in for recording because there was, it's a big schedule, man. The show is, is deep. The episodes are, you know, a half hour and uh, lots is going on, lots of different locations. Uh, and, and I think it only happened because so many people were willing to burn so bright through the whole thing. Yeah, sure, watching yeah. it, there were there were scenes I had no memory of, and I'm like, oh, that's because I was yeah, over like, here on this other. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah that makes sense. Um, well, I'm sorry that you missed out on the doozer party, but uh, <laughs> you were busy celebrating New Day's Day, um, and uh, Jamdalin is ready to introduce Boober to give the big speech. The curtain opens. Boober is nowhere to be found because he took the wrong meeting from Go with the Flow. He is flown away from New Day's Day. Uh, hmm. Icy Joe tries to open the box. It's not going to open for her. It's Fraggle Magic, apparently. Um, Red tries to give a speech in Boober's stead, but she gets blocked and she can't think of a good story and she runs off. Uh, and Gobo helps pass the time by reading a postcard from his uncle, Traveling Matt. And that's when we get our Traveling Matt moment. Uh, he is at the park and he spots life in its purest form. And he pushes right past that baby and heads right for this woman who has a bubble wand and she's making new bubbles. That's a great beat. Yeah. Yep. That's a great beat. Uh, and he, and also a great shot where Matt is looking up with these big puppy dog eyes and you, yeah. yeah, the irises are, are real big, which, yeah. you know, we don't, we don't mess with puppet irises uh, or pupils rather very often. Uh, so it's when it's done, it's done very deliberately and it's very effective here. It's, it's like that shot from um, from the Shrek movie with Puss in Boots that you yes, know, yes. was in all the commercials. We all remember that. Uh, and there's also this great shot where like he's looking at the bubbles and he's equating it with this image of a cluster of stars and blooming flowers, a handful of strawberries, a skateboarding dog. <laughs> yeah. um, and then it's we like see him bubble. and we see him holding the bubble wand and blowing bubbles, which if you stop to think about it, sounds like a difficult thing to accomplish. Um, Frank, were you playing Matt for this uh, this segment? No, Kevin Clash did an amazing job with all of the remote mats. Uh, I think I did one of them on a ski hill. And then when Matt was on set, when he came to the rock, I did Matt for those. But uh, as you as you know, Kevin's work is peerless. And I, I thought he nailed, uh, he nailed all the stuff with Matt. It was all very funny, very clean. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, I mean, he's just such an incredible performer. I would expect nothing less. Um, but, uh, well, it, was it, well, let's talk about Matt for a second. Was there any kind of difficulty for you knowing that not only are you performing the character that will be dubbed by Dave Goals later, and it has all this history, but also for most of the season, we've been seeing him performed by another puppeteer. So like when he would show up, you know, in the last couple of episodes uh, back on the rock, or like you said, for the, for the postcard where he's skiing, um, were you like trying to match Kevin's style or was it 
just like, nope, everyone just knows how to do traveling mat and we're just moving forward? Uh, well, obviously Kevin's been doing this for a very long time and Dave, of course, as well, and, and me to some extent also. I think we, I'm going to guess, I can really only speak for myself, but I, I, I looked at Matt as almost a slapstick character um, and his sort of like his uh, optimistic, charmed bumbling that he would just move forward, walk right through a plate glass window and then wonder why someone had put all that glass garbage on the floor. Oh, well, it must be for a sound effect and he'd crunkle around on it, make a little dance and move on. It's just one of those guys who could go through life and, and never be seriously hurt. <laughs> so the, the sort of slapstick sense plays really well into my, uh, my sensibility for manipulation. Um, quite honestly, Matt was always one of my favorite characters on, on the original Fraggle. And so you'd watch that and everyone would walk in the other day. Everyone was doing that all the time. And so you get a, you got a sense for it. They also write really well, I think, for the Matt stuff, because it's this kind of, it's, um, uh, Gobo's reading a letter from a guy who thinks he's in an outer space and we know as a viewer that he's with people and what they're doing is thing A but he sees it as thing B and relays it back where it might even be seen as thing C and all at the same time as he's giving this confident report on how well he's doing it's falling apart around him so it's like these abstractions from what's really happening are are um uh, a delight, I think, for the viewer, and and I love doing Matt when when he was in when he was on set, you know, because every he'd see the smallest things, oh, 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 and everything upset him. He'd turn around and there was another frag. He'd go, oh, oh pardon me, madam, you know. There was always <laughs> there was always something that surprised him about the everyday. He'd see the universe in a grain of sand, and then you send him out into the universe, and it's billions of grains of sand. He was just constantly uh, amazed with his discovery. So I. I don't know if I answered your question, Joe, but I, I, I love doing that. Matt was a, uh, an easier one for me to kind of really hang on to. Boober was uh, more nuanced, I think, you know, because he drives plot points. He's less of a foil and more of a, of a character, you know, so there's more depth, I, I felt, to him. Uh, so that was, that was, that's a place I'd still like to, to work more on seeing his contrast. But Matt seemed um, imminently joyful to do as soon as I put him on and I saw the mustache and stuff I was like oh this is this is great I, the, the first day that I, I got into Matt I think it was the first day I did anything and it was in um in Doc's uh, workshop and he just kind of snuck in he walked in the door as Doc was walking out and she's got her arm full, arms full of stuff she doesn't notice and he meets Sprocket and Sprocket's like you know I got you cornered weird rodent thing and he's like did I ever tell you about the time I invented pudding and he's leaning on the shelf he's so casual <laughs> And, and that's the first time I met Donna. And so we were, you know, I was saying for this, can you do the hand? And she's like, yeah. And can you do this with that? She's like, yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, no, do what you're doing. It's way better than what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> uh, huge fan of Donna's. And um, uh, I, I should probably mention this here. There, there's always a dynamic on set between the puppeteers that happens to bleed into the, into the work, right? That informs the work. And I know, that when on the original Fraggle, Dave and Steve were, were super close. They, they were you know, quite on quite good terms. Um, uh, and when they did a scene together as, uh, as, uh, as their two characters, it was always really dynamic and full of life and fun and spirit. And was, those were great scenes. And Johnny and Jordan had that kind of rep, uh, rapport between each other. And those scenes where they were both in, it, it sparked that a little bit. And I was, am, remain such a huge fan of Donna Kimball's and we were pals on and offset. 
And I love the opportunities for Boober uh, to have a chat with Moki, like they did it near the end of, uh, of this episode. And, and, and I think that our, our personal relationship bled into that performance in a, in a really delightful way. I think so. I mean, you could really see not just between Boober and Smokey, but all of the character relationships. Uh, I mean, we, we've talked many times today, as well as on the other episodes of this podcast, about what a joy it was to work on the set of Back to the Rock. And it is so apparent by what we're seeing on screen that like these character, like you're not just reading the lines and going through the motions. Like there's a genuine love in the air that can't be, um, can't be faked. And, yeah. uh, you know, you really see that uh, the, those uh, performer relationships that you're talking about come through on the characters. And, and to piggyback on that, uh, before we knew Ingrid, Ben, and I knew that we were going to be playing the Cork family, we all made arrangements to share a house together. Mm-hmm. So we were already <laughs> all moving in and our friend Kira Hall was there. Uh, and then we found out, oh, we are actually going to be playing a family and we're going to go home and we're going to share this house. It was, That's, uh, wow. it was pretty yeah, so we called our place the Gord Castle plus Cure Hall. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was pretty great. Well, every yeah, castle needs a hall, right? Uh, absolutely. But yeah, all of that just fed in. And, and yeah, the relationships all kind of bled into the show, vice versa. It was pretty amazing, actually. I love it. That's so much fun. Well, back to the episode. Uh, Boober is enjoying his alone time. Uh, but the skitter scatter stone fa- finds him once again. Uh, Boober tries disguising himself, then he puts on a cowboy hat and a mustache, which is adorable mm-hmm. and hysterical. Uh, and uh, there's a cool puppetry trick here that I don't, I didn't notice until this viewing that Boober rips the mustache off. And there's, it took me a second to go, I don't, he doesn't have real fingers. How did he, how did he mm-hmm. do that? How did he do that? That, that worked so uh, so much by luck, I was thrilled. I think the, the mustache was held on with a piece of toupee tape and I had the finger set in such a way that if I caught the inside lip of the, of the mustache, the piece sticking out, and I just gave it a good stoink across his lip, it would just pop off and, and fly out of frame. And, and yeah, that delighted me. Oh, amazing. I'm so glad that you got that on, on tape because yeah. I can see you doing that and then everyone saying, great rehearsal, now do it again. <laughs> so, well, that was, that was a one in a million, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Boober explains to Jamdalin, who's also in the scene, didn't mention that he showed up, um, that uh, he likes to think about everything that could possibly go wrong so that he's ready for anything. And that's how he feels safe. And it's interesting here because, you know, we're in a lot of um, pop culture where we see stories about, you know, anxiety or fear. The lesson is always, okay, so how do you get over your fear or how do you get rid of your fear? And Jandalin tells him like, there's nothing wrong with who you are, or how you feel that way. And it's true. Like that's actually not the worst uh, way to, to think. And also like, you're not going to change the way your brain is structured. Like if it helps you to think about how bad things can be and to make that, have that be the thing that makes you feel safe. Well, it's more important that you feel safe. Uh, but of course, James Lynn also has to remind him that that also means that you could think about all the good things that could happen too, and be prepared for the fact that anything could happen, good, bad, a mixture, something in the middle, anything. Uh, so uh, that's when the um, Skitter Scatterstone speaks up as well. 
Uh, had no idea that that was gonna that that was gonna sprout a mouth and begin to speak. Surprise, that was a nice, nice little surprise. <laughs> uh, and uh, she tells Boober that he's the only one who's gonna be able to open the Flutterfly box, and uh, he better do it because it's about to explode. So there's actually something that they should be they should be afraid of in this scene, uh, and a reason to panic. Um, who was performing the Skitter Scatter Stone here? That was Ingrid Hansen. Yeah. yeah, I had jumped ahead before, but she played that role and was hilarious. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a weird thing to be assigned. Like, okay, so you're gonna play this talking rock and go, and then you're like, I don't know. <laughs> like, there's nothing. There's no precedent for this. I don't know where to start. But no, she did a great job. Was, I wouldn't have known what to do there. And it was a tricky little puppet too, as I recall. It was just a little uh, dyed or painted Scott Boom Rock with two little rods that she just had to manipulate in a way to make that little mouth go. Oh, interesting. So it's not it's not like a like a hand puppet that opens with your with your uh, hand and thumb. Nope. As I recall, they made a little mouth, and there were two rods kind of coming out the back. You can see a moment where Jambolin kind of scoops the skitter stone up, and we were just trying to block those little rods coming out the back with the hand. But uh, yeah. Ingrid got a stunning amount of life to a puppet that was very limited. Like it was not an easy puppet to perform. That's great. Um, I mean, you love hearing about these these one-off characters and puppets and um, you know how you know they're not just redressed from something else. Like something was built, something had to be figured out how to be manipulated. Um, and uh, you know, it's, as far as I know, we're, we're never gonna see that stone again. It was just unique to, to these scenes. Um, that really says a lot about the dedication of the, the puppet building team for Back to the Rock. Uh, back at the Great Hall, uh, they're trying to get things to move forward and uh, everyone's giving, uh, taking turns giving toasts. Uh, and I just like Moki's a lot where she says, uh, I saw a bird once and it looked at me and I was like, do I control the birds now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's um, the perfect Moki thing. It really is. I know, that was hysterical. Uh, and like so well read by, uh, yeah, just really good Moki moments. Um, Boober does show up uh, and he gives his toast about how unexpected things can happen, you know, because life is unpredictable, but it's also amazing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I like this a lot because it's not just about how everything's going to be okay. Um, we're going to experience both good things and bad things. And uh, I am really glad for all these new experiences. And just as, I think we're all glad for this experience of doing this Fraggle Rock podcast. What a lovely new thing that we could have been terrified about. I don't know. You could have been scared. I have no idea beforehand. Who says we're not, Joe? I'm still <laughs> right now. Yep. You, you, you both have such good composure on, on the camera here. I would have never known. I can't see this, but I'm ducking under the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're also, your puppeteers, you're going to be most comfortable under the table. So I get it. There you go. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about this this term, and, and I didn't get the chance to say it in the right moment, but I, I was thinking about uh, Boober in terms of how he uh, sees the world, and I came up with this thought that was analog doom scrolling, where hmm. he just would, oh, this could happen, and this could happen, and then this thing could fall, and then we'd all be, you know, there's just always this, this growing amount of terror. And I mean, I'm uh, in this day and age, with what's happening in the world right now, I can't be the only one who can't stop looking at the train wreck that is internet information and at the same time be so horrified by what's happening that you know there's this i'm shaking in the core all the time i'm vibrating there's just so much going on that seems wrong for everyone right now 
And, yeah. and it kind of it puts you in mind of what every day must be like for Boober as he does his own sort of non-digital analog binary doom scrolling through all the lists of things that probably happened before that were terrible and will likely happen again, but with more force. <laughs> right. Well, and uh, this goes back to the original concept of the, the main characters for Faggle Rock that Michael Frith came up with, where they each have, you know, a, a character flaw that both makes them a better character and a word like a, you know, gives them something good and something bad to their personality. You know, in this case, Boober's constantly thinking about everything that could go wrong. And which is seems like it would be a bad thing, but at the same time, it makes him, you know, much more open to different possibilities. He's much more educated uh, about what could happen. And like we said in this episode, it makes him feel safer because of all of it, because he is collecting this information about about all the horrible things that could happen. And I, you know, as much as doom scrolling is probably more uh, destructive than helpful it does help us to know what's happening in the world, you know, cause my, I think for a lot of us, when we're specifically thinking about doom scrolling through social media and seeing all the horrible things that are happening in the world, uh, we want to be able to say it's too much. I, I can't process this. I need to unplug. I need to go do something else, which very often is the healthy thing to do. But at the same time, when you do that, then you don't know what's happening in the world. Like there are, these are important things that we do need to know um, both so that we can be educated about the world outside as well as like, so we know how to help. We know what, what we can do to what help this not take. be as horrible as it, as it is. Um, and I, I think this is a really good, this episode is a great example of Boober embodying that concept. Well, he's thinking globally and he's terrified, but he's acting locally when his friends are in trouble. He's still, he has it in him to say, now I'm going to help. Now I'm going to yes. be a man of action. Which is, which is pretty And he does take action right here in this moment when he opens the Flutterfly box. It does not explode, but these cute little chubby fireflies all kind of come out of the, of the, uh, of the box. Uh, they reminded me a bit of the Ditsies from the original Fraggle Rock, which were the, these glowing creatures that were even smaller than the Doozers. Um, but, uh, but these look like they're actually puppets as opposed to just little light bursts. Uh, were they real puppets? And if so, how big were they? How were they, they performed? I, 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 I did one for, in a black room. Did you do some too, Andy? I don't remember. Did, yeah, uh, Donna and I spent a couple hours doing some as well. I think a lot of folks, when there was time, they'd pull in and, and work on that. Um, my recollection was there were two variants. There was uh, a, a Ditsy that had automated wings that would flap and then one that was manual. So we kind of did both and I ended up using whatever. Is that your recollection too, Frank, that you had a couple yeah, of different? I, I only got my, my hands on the one and it was, uh, it had a flapping, a mechanical flapping mech um, that was gorgeous. And so we just, we played it in towards the camera and going across frame left, frame right, up down from the bottom of the frame. And then post was pulling that apart and multiplying it where, you know, in every, every way that they, they needed. And yeah, they were gorgeous little guys. And I think they glass, I think they were glass. Wow, they they looked so delicate that would not surprise me. They were they were just beautiful little works of art. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so they were actually glowing. That glow was not coming from. Oh yeah. Uh, was, yeah. Wow. That's cool. And and a hard puppet too. Like if it is made out of glass, like that's seen. That seems. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that on Fraggle Rock before. Maybe it was a plastic resin. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't be more specific. And I remember that that's the translucent quality that you have to be accurate. It wasn't foam and fleece like, we, like we're like we used to. Like it was right. something hard and translucent 
Um, cause you know, those, they're so small on the screen and there's so many of them, you know, we really don't get a good idea of, of what this puppet really looks like or how it's performed or anything like that. So that's, that's fascinating. I mean, what a, what a great idea. Yeah. And they were tiny too. Like my recollection is there are maybe a couple of inches. Yeah. Inch oh, really? Yeah. That's small. They were very, yeah. So moving them about in the frame, you had to be very careful and especially if they had to go close to camera because just the tiniest little movement would, would read him. Like, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's great. Um, and yeah, there's this scene with the butterflies popping out. Uh, it's played over the, uh, the, the new song for this episode, uh, which is called New Day's Day. Uh, the butterflies are all over the sky. The band is playing. Um, there's a few sit-ins with the bands, including a bird who's playing his beak like a trumpet, which is a cool little uh, puppetry moment. I think his name is Flute Bird. Just Flute, Flute Bird? Bird, all one word. Yep. I believe you. I mean, he that that tells you exactly what you need to know. One of the original puppets from the show that they did some refurbishment on and came back to. Great. I mean, you love to see you love to see these old puppets come back. That's great. Um, but yeah, the Fraggles are all dancing. There's even four Fraggles who dance by ear to ear to ear to ear. You know, all next to each other, which I would assume took a little bit of coordination for at least two puppeteers. Um, you see Boober riding on Icy Joe's shoulder at one point, um, and uh, Boober does get tossed in the air, which is another cool puppetry moment because, of course, we have to figure out how to mat out the puppeteer. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just a just a fun song, and nice to see the Troubadours playing something new. Um, you know, I would buy a whole album of Troubadour music. Me too. Yeah, it was great. It's funky. Yeah. Uh, Moki asked Boober how he got over his fear, and Boober says, I didn't. Uh, my fear was with me the whole time. It's a part of me. I just didn't let it be everything, uh, which I think is, that is the whole point of the episode. We brought it all home. Um, and uh, it is nice because, you know, a, a lot of people just innately have a lot of fear and anxiety. I also suffer from a lot of anxiety. I think most people do nowadays. Uh, and it does not mean that you're broken. It does not mean, mean, mean that you need to change. It just mean, means that you need to make more room for feelings and different types of feelings in your normal life. And that's what Boober's doing here. Um, it's also a great way to keep Boober in his own status quo. I think that's a challenge with any kind of show that has characters that are supposed to kind of be the same from episode to episode, but also exist in dozens of hours of television um, where we want to see him grow, but we also want to see him reset back to his normal status. So Boober here can still learn his lesson, but also say, but also I'm still a worry wart at heart. You know, next week, it'll still be more of the same Boober. Yeah. And that's, I think that's also the point where um, when, when Moki has his arm around him and says, Oh, you did great. You know, how'd you do it? And he goes, oh, I just, you know, I, I just don't let it be all of me. And he, and we played it so he put his hand on hers just for a second and and I love when puppets touch I think it's it's a greatly underused and it has a tremendous uh, symbolic value and I just think it adds a warmth to the characters when they have just the just the smallest little physical interactions and that's when um, uh, Jandalin sneaks in and goes oh you're having a moment sorry man and, and it was great I, I I can't remember Andy was that in the script that you came in and said are you guys having a moment oh I'm sorry man I'm cutting in or was that for some reason in my mind that was just uh, an improv added and it might have come from yeah it might have come from Jordan Canning our director someone but and I remember we played it a few different ways mm. like we did a few different versions of that 
yeah, I didn't, I don't remember for sure, but I think it might have been a little tacked on moment someone thought of. Yeah, I I, I really like that. It goes yeah. ties back into what I was saying earlier. You know, where where I, I'm I'm such a fan of Donna as a performer and as a as a person, and I thought it was great that Boober and and she had this little moment. And then they didn't even recognize it, right? It's just the thing. And then, you know, Jandlin comes in and says, oh, you guys are having a thing. And Boober's like, no, I, I'm, no, I was, it's not. And he leaves, he's just out of there. And then he's all over Wembley. Oh, Wembley, I can touch you. That's okay. I get this thing, <laughs> shake this thing off. Yeah. I thought that was a, a nice little beat. I was very happy that that made the cut. And by the way, Jordan Canning was the AAA amazing. So great. We, we, had, we had great directors across the board, but man, Jordan was a delight. It's like she was born for this job. And we were lucky. Yeah, like you said, Frank, the folks who directed the show, each block, all came in with such love for the characters. And it, it comes across in the episodes, you can tell. They, they understand exactly who these characters are. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, she had a great way with the crew and the cast. You, you never, never felt like you were being told to do something. No, nope. as if she planted a really good idea in your mind and made you go, oh, I think I'll do this. <laughs> ah. uh, it was a delight your work. Fraggle Inception, it sounds like. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, the episode ends with uh, the flutterflies all floating over Fraggle Rock. They're flying over the Doozer Dome. They're over the Gorg's Garden, which I think is maybe one of my favorite shots of the, uh, of the season of Junior in the garden at night with all these, these you know, flutterflies above him. Uh, and of course, outside of Doc's workshop while she's dancing with Sprocket, as we mentioned before, it, it's a beautiful end to an episode, maybe one of the most beautiful uh, of this whole season, just a really great bow uh, on top of this one. Um, and that's it, that's where this one ends. Um, so uh, do either of you have any other, uh, memories from this episode that we didn't get to, or even from another episode of the series that uh, you wanted to bring up um, that, uh, you know, to highlight some of the work that you've done or something fun that really happened on set. I, I, I'll tell you a quick thing that comes to mind when um, uh, the troubadours were playing with Jamdalin, we were shooting, shooting the band out and, and I wasn't part of it. I was helping out and I had nothing to do for whatever reason. And um, I wanted to shoot a little bit of video to show the guys what it looked like because it was really impressive, it was beautiful. And everyone had, you know, the drums were hitting the drum at the right point and the hands were moving on the guitar the way. I love when that happens, when you go, hey, he said, is he playing that thing with the, you know, twine for a string? Of course not, but the idea is sold uh, quite vigorously and intelligently and it always makes me happy. But I happened to drift down with my, my little iPhone, plug for Apple, no charge. And I saw just the performer's feet underneath and everybody's in the groove. Their feet are doing this little stomp and toes are tapping. It was glorious to see, I don't know, was it like 15 people, Andy, underneath there by the time everyone had a hand or two? It was just great. And so, so the whole video is mainly shot under the set just to see all these great performers' legs in sync with each other, you know, syncing to this song. It was beautiful. I have one memory that for me kind of encapsulated the experience, encapsulates the experience rather. Um, it was a lunch, it, it, Calgary has brutal winters. Was, they were pretty rough, but the last few weeks, it just turned into beautiful springtime. And we uh, had a lunch where I, I remember, I didn't realize this was happening, went outside and the entire cast is out spending lunch together with musical instruments instruments to share 
uh, folks. There was uh, Ellis had his accordion, and we spent an hour singing together, just having lunch. We sang Fraggle songs, you name it, and and that's the kind of love that went into this. Like the relationships on screen all translated into how we felt about each other. After five months, we all wanted to still spend time together, and that's that's incredible. It speaks highly yeah. to the team. That was that's assembled. rare. That's really rare. Yeah. Like every part of that is rare, and, and and I like I love that you all recognize that too, because um, you know I think uh, that seems like the kind of story that people would tell and say, and we didn't know how good it was until it was over. But it's like, but no, y'all knew. You knew exactly how great it was, and you appreciated it in the moment. And what a what a gift that everything about that is. We are very lucky. Uh, and again, it speaks highly to Johnny, Rita, all the folks who assembled this team, put us together. Uh, it, it was definitely a family feel. It was. You know, and you, you you couldn't have had that happen without the initial push from from Jim. You know, so even yeah. though he's, he's gone, he's yeah. there. You feel it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was actually really uh, like I, I I met Jim a handful of times. You know, and I was I was just a, a, a kid trying to figure out what what to do when I was on set. And uh, uh, but but you got the vibe, you know, like he's like very peace was very peaceful and, and very positive and uh, great delegator. He didn't need to show off great chops. He could have done everything, but he hired people who were really good at stuff and just let him go. And, you know, there's days like Andy was talking about where we're just there. And I, I like to think he was watching. And what a testament to his legacy that he can create something that decades later is running strong and, and, you know, without him uh, and with this dedicated group of people, some from the old show, some who are brand new to Fraggle Rock and not just to have a great time on set, which is of course very important, but the final uh, product, the season that we got uh, through Apple TV is just fantastic. It's so good. I know Jim would be pleased with it, but like, honestly, the fact that he just kind of lit that spark and it is just continuing to today uh, really is testament to how great he was and how great of an idea Fraggle Rock was. Um, You're here. Well, Andy Hayward, Frank Meshkalite, thank you both so much for being here. It was a blast talking to you uh, and to get to share these memories of Back to the Rock. Hopefully we'll get to do this again soon. If uh, it gets picked up for a second season, we'll definitely would love to have you back. And thank you for keeping the Fraggles alive and and doing such an amazing job at, uh, you know, bringing us the quality that we all hope for from the world of Fraggle Rock. It's very kind of you to say thanks, Joe. Always a pleasure to see you, Andy. Oh, you too, Frank. Hopefully I'll get to see you again in a fragglish environment. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Everything's crossed. That's what it hurts. I know, it does work, yeah. (laughs) So there's foam bits in my lungs too, so. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Fraggle Talk, but stay tuned as Tough Pig's own Beth Cook talks more about the themes of this episode in our Dive Deeper segment coming up right now. Welcome to Dig Deeper. This is Beth Cook, and I am joined once again by executive producer and president of television at the Jim Henson Company, Hallie Stanford. 
Well, Flight of the Flutterflies is very special to me because I have a lot of anxiety and always did as a child. And I certainly know that there are a lot of children and parents out there that you know are dealing with anxiety. And I just read a research study that basically one out of four children in the pandemic is suffering from anxiety. Wow. Um, so, you know, this is a real global topic, its own type of pandemic. So anything, you know, every, you know, episode we do infuse a little bit of, right, you know, characters feeling worried and, you know, overcoming fears. But in this particular one, what we have is um, uh, a kind of social anxiety um, that we are showcasing, which is very, I think, familiar to kids, particularly in school or performance um, activities, whether it's, you know, band or sports, um, having to get up in front of a crowd. Uh, it, it can be debilitating. Um, so we wanted to have our most anxious of all characters, Boober, demonstrate that even he can get up and go with the flow and, uh, and uh, in doing so, um, feel great rewards. He's not, you know, the thing that I love about the show is these characters are still who they are. They're still gonna have to meet these challenges just like I do. You know, every day I have to deal with my anxiety. It didn't go away magically. We're not doing a, we're not doing a ribbon bow tying type of ending on these episodes and the issues. We're just highlighting them and giving kids and parents tools that we give our characters um, to overcome. That's what I always loved about Fraggle Rock. Yeah. Is the sophistication of message, never talking down to kids you know, bringing in these sometimes hard realities of life in ways yeah. that are relatable and magical and always somehow work out okay in the end. And, and yeah, but also, you know, with mental health, I think it's also like, um, we have to, you know, what we're modeling is support, right? Community yes. support. And that is important too. You don't have to be alone in all, you know, sometimes I, I've talked in these segments about like, the individual journey that you have to go on, in this case, not necessarily, right? Like in this case, actually you do need support. Uh, a child um, and an adult does need support, not only in the people that they talk to and um, give them counsel, but also from friends and family, um, that empathy. You know, Moki, you know, thinks it should go one way, you know, like, you know, this this should be no big deal, but, um, but, it, it, but it is a big deal. And uh, he ends up doing it. He's so cute in that little hat too. Come on. <laughs> With such a great hat. <laughs> I love that the, the new old troubadours and the new old Jamdalin were really able to bring back that same kind of spirit of Cantus. Oh yeah. In that, that groovy kind of ethereal person who wanders in and out of town and just dispenses this mythical advice. Yeah. You know, if your mind is spinning in all these worst case scenarios, yes, those bad things might happen, but they might not. Good things can happen too, and good things do happen. And I love, God, what was Boober's line? Um, maybe hope just means being okay, not knowing what will happen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It is my blind, and it, it is the greatest information because the unknown is the only thing that is known. Uh, to all of us, right? And so you have to be, you know, you have to get into that place where you're, you're okay with it. Um, and even if you're not okay with it, to come back to that place, right? Like keep coming back. 
Um, that's why, I, you know, I, I, I love how much you love Jandalin because, you know, the go with the flow, uh, starting out with that song, it, it, you know, that is, you know, hard to do. Um, it's hard to yes. do. It's hard to go with the flow. Um, meaning like, you know, just finding the joy in yourself. You see how each fraggle dances down uh, the runway in their own way. And um, Buber doesn't want to at first, right? Too shy. But then by the end he is. And so coming back to that joy, like let's just keep trying to come back to that. Keep trying to come back to the go with the flow. I, I absolutely love that episode. It's my favorite, favorite one. Again, not because just also I really relate to it personally, but I just think it has so many important messages in it for kids who uh, are experiencing anxiety. Absolutely. Um, not even to the point of like, just get up and move your body. That's it. Just get up and move your body. It's as simple as that. Uh, you were speaking about the support system that Booper has and how important that is. And I loved that moment at the end with Moki where she asked, you know, how did you get past your fear? And he says, I didn't. I just accepted that it's a part of me and I just didn't let it be all of me. And she gives him this wonderful compliment that, you know, that was, you know, the best New Day's Day speech ever. And he says something like, remind me of that. Remind me that I did that, you know, next time I forget. Yeah, right. There's a the great support. community. Remind me, like, like, remind me, let me know about those moments, those wins that I had and the, the, those good feelings I had and bring me back there. Um, but again, like, you know, we work, we actually, you know, you ask if, you know, we've ever worked on specific episodes with specific advisors. And on this one, we did. On this one, we worked with um, Kelly Oriard and her specialty as a therapist is anxiety um, for younger children. So we really took this episode very seriously. And all of those, you know, amazing lines that you're quoting back of Boober having to sit with the unknown and be okay with it and not let it define him. That all came from her. Um, and then Charlie Feldman, who wrote the episode, who's a genius, she also experiences anxiety. So I'm sure that she channeled a lot of herself and Boober and could articulate um, those real feelings that kids feel when they feel overwhelmed by their own anxiety. I oh. love that in the Doc and Sprocket segments, Doc is also experiencing anxiety about a big important presentation she has to make. And she comes back just so relieved that it went terribly. Her worst case scenario happened and she survived it. And she survived. That is the most important lesson. That is one of my favorite lessons, which is kids and parents need to understand your worst case scenario, you will survive. One of the things that you can always, you know, parents and kids can always ask themselves is what's the worst that can happen? Usually you'll, you think it's going to end up, I'm going to be homeless and alone living under a bridge. Like, and then what you can say to yourself and to kids are, is that really going to happen? Right? Like, and then of course the answer is no. Um, but, you know, with her, what was the worst that could happen? She didn't get the, didn't get the grant. And it happened. She's alive. And then out of that moment, actually, she gets a great idea to take it on herself. And she's going to, you know, she's going to step up. And the worst that could happen actually ended up being the best thing that could happen. So there you go. We get to, we get to turn it around too, that you never know. Out of the darkest moments, great, great growth comes.
Fraggle Talk, the unofficial Fraggle Rock podcast is brought to you by ToughPigs.com. Produced, written, and hosted by Joe Hennis. Fraggle Fast Fact segment presented by special guest John Tartaglia. Dig Deeper segment hosted by Beth Cook with special guest Hallie Stanford. Fraggle Talk art by Dave Haltine Jr. The Fraggle Rock mark and logo, characters and elements are trademarks of the Jim Henson Company, all rights reserved. Fraggle Rock theme song, written by Philip Balsam and Dennis Lee, is used with permission. Special thanks to the Jim Henson Company, Apple TV+, and the entire Fraggle Rock Back to the Rock family. For more from Tough Pigs, please find us at Tough Pigs on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time down at Fraggle Talk. <laughs>